0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. The
1: fool has said in his heart, There is no God. It is therefore not lost on me the irony of today being the greatest holiday in the life of the church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and simultaneously being the greatest holiday for atheists worldwide, April Fool's Day.
0: Have you ever seen the television show Survivor? Contestants have to take on various challenges and obstacles. If they're not successful, they risk being voted off the island. Well, life comes with various challenges and obstacles as well. And oftentimes, we may feel like we're just trying to survive. So, is it possible to be a winner in the obstacles and challenges of life?
1: Uh, Time for me, I'm going to try and show you three essential truths that you need to know if you're going to survive death.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today is a special day, not only for Cross-Culture Church, but for all churches, because it's Resurrection Sunday. Most people know it as Easter Sunday, but many people have lost the true meaning of Easter, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. That's why we're kicking off this brand new series today. The series is entitled Survivor. And over the next several weeks, Pastor Clay is going to walk us through God's Word and show us how to survive things like marital strife, financial crisis, and depression, just to name a few.
1: And what we will see that in God's survivor, nobody has to get voted off the island, and everybody can be a winner if they follow the rules.
0: But since it's Resurrection Sunday, we thought the best place to kick off this series is by looking at Surviving Death. Because, as you'll hear Pastor Clay say in just a moment, surviving the challenges of life won't really matter if we're not prepared to survive death. Now here's
1: Pastor Clay. I want to lead you to the cross. Love singing about the resurrected King and what that should mean for our lives. Uh, Not just to, to look at it as an historical event, which it was, but but as a, a living event and what the impact on our lives is as a result of that. Uh, all of us, and I realize we express uh, excitement in different ways, right? But, but all of us should be excited, quite honestly, about the validity of the resurrection because, as I've said many times, it changes everything. Everything is different because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You probably... Most of you probably heard of the death of Stephen Hawking in the last couple of weeks. At the time of his death, at the age of 76, Stephen Hawking was considered one of the smartest people on this planet. He was a brilliant physicist and cosmologist, won numerous awards and wrote best-selling books on uh, quantum physics and black holes and cosmology and space-time relationship. I read a Facebook post that somebody put up after his death. I, I haven't. I know this person. I haven't spoken to them in a number of years. I, I don't know where they are uh, spiritually, but I know that they grew up in church. And on their post, they were uh, just you know talking about the life of Stephen Hawking and the impact that he had had. On this person's life, how profoundly they were impacted by his brilliance and and his teachings, and that their life this person that posted this article, how much better their life was uh as a result of stephen Hawking and and his influence, and how honored they were to have shared this planet with him for a few years and then the, they made the they made the statement where they said that that they are sure that he is now one with the universe that he so uh, loved. Before his death, Stephen Hawking, among other things, uh, said this. He said, we are each free to believe what we want, and it's my view that the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created our universe, and no one directs our fate. This leads me to a profound realization that there probably is no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe, and for that I am extremely grateful. When I read that, I wondered, did anybody ever point out, I wonder if anybody ever pointed out to Stephen Hawking the irony in his very words, that there, we have this one life to appreciate this grand design of the universe. Grand design of the universe. I'm not a quantum physics guy, but I'm pretty sure that something designed necessitates a designer. But I I, I'm, I don't claim to be nearly as smart as Stephen Hawking. I'm sure was. I'm sure that... Without question, Stephen Hawking was a brilliant intellect. But you know what God has said? God said, in a couple different places, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is therefore not lost on me the irony of today being the greatest holiday in the life of the church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and simultaneously being the greatest holiday for atheists worldwide, April Fool's Day. (laughs) Now, I know, the atheist would say to me, and and I'm not, uh, there could be people, some of you may be atheist or agnostic or whatever, but I know what the atheist would say to me. The atheist would say to me that you're the fool for believing that there even is a God, much less that he died and rose again three days later. I understand that. And as I have said many times, as many of you have heard me say many times through the years, I'm just telling you, I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. I'm, that's, that's, where I've, that's where I put all my cards. That's, that's where I'm banking. That's, I'm, I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. But I understand that some people are uncertain about this or struggle with this or whatever the case may be. And so the idea of talking about uh, or looking at, not that we're necessarily going to today, but looking at the historical empirical evidence that would support the idea of the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ literally, physically, bodily from the grave, uh, that not, that not only provides pretty strong evidence that there is a God, but that it also means that he has provided for you and me a way to survive... Death. Today, uh, we start, we kick off a brand new series entitled Survivor. Now, as you can probably imagine, the title of the series is based on the television show that's been on for a number of years of the same name. And the television show, and I'll be honest with you, I've never really watched an entire episode. I think I've caught bits of it here and there. But most of you are probably aware on the television show, The contestants have a series of obstacles and challenges that they have to overcome in order to be a winner. Kind of sounds a little like life, doesn't it? Life can be a series of obstacles and circumstances that we have to overcome. For some of you, it may feel like all of life is a series of, of uh, obstacles and, and circumstances that you have to overcome. I hope not, but I realize that it can feel that way at times in life, right? Sure. Now, on the television show, they vote off one contestant each week until they end up with just one winner. But as we're going to see in this series over the next six several weeks, I don't know how many weeks exactly, the next several weeks, as we look at subjects like surviving marital conflict. I know none of us that are married would ever have any marital conflict. Surviving uh, stress. I know none of us have any stress or anything like that. Surviving financially. We're all independently wealthy, so that's not a problem for any of us. And and a series of other uh, obstacles and circumstances that we will look at. And what we will see is that in in God's survivor, nobody has to get voted off the island. And everybody can be a winner if they follow the rules. So today, I want to start this series, kick this series off by discussing the subject of surviving death. Which is obviously highly appropriate today being Resurrection Sunday... The greatest day to celebrate uh, life that there could possibly be would be today. So that makes sense. That's a good idea, Clay. Why don't you kick it off with surviving death? Because as we'll see in a few moments, as we'll discuss, uh, not only did Jesus Christ uh, survive death, he, he conquered, he kicked its behind. And he made it possible for you and I, and I believe every single person, if they would choose it, to survive death also and conquer it. So it's a good reason. That alone is a good reason to kick this series off with surviving death. But I would also point out that it's a good reason to kick this series off with surviving death because all of the other subjects that we will talk about in this series have to deal with surviving life. And quite honestly, it doesn't really matter what you survive in life if you're not prepared to survive death. Because, ladies and gentlemen, death is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter whether you whether you've lived a life of hardship or whether you have lived a charmed life. It doesn't matter if, if a person lives life in prosperity and wealth or if a person lives life in, in poverty. It doesn't matter if a person has a third-grade education or is a world-famous physicist. Death knows everybody's address, and it's coming for everybody. And so, I thought it would be appropriate to kick this series off with surviving death. Because, as I said, it makes no difference what you survive in life if you're not prepared to survive death. Would you open your Bibles this morning if you brought a copy of God's Word to John chapter 3? I know it's a little bit of a lengthy introduction, but we're kicking off this whole series and wanted to... To open your eyes to that, make you aware of that. John chapter three. The text will be up on the screen as well as it usually is. But John chapter three, which may seem a little strange to you if you're familiar with the Bible, that makes it may say, well, that's a, that's a bit strange because John chapter three is not it's not a resurrection story text, and it's it's Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday. You got to talk about the resurrection. Well, we will. And my brother Sebastian did read it to you very eloquently in that big old Bible of his. It's, that's how you know he is much more spiritual than I am. <laughs> even sound it fancier than my Bible. We've already sung about the resurrection, and we'll talk some more about the resurrection. But it is, it is a little unusual because on Easter you think somebody's going to stand up there and going to read a text about the, the resurrection. Well, John chapter 3 is kind of important. And we're going to look at John chapter 3, and we're going to, uh, time permitting this morning, I'm going to try and show you three, what I would call three essential truths that you need to know if you're going to survive death. And if you're sitting here saying, well, I know I'm surviving death. I'm already, I, I got a relationship with Jesus. I'm good to go. Fantastic. Praise God. But can, can you just, can you just take it in this morning? Just listen and, and just think, wow, I'm so, again, I'm just grateful for that. And if you're here and you're saying, "I you know, I, I think, or I hope, or I wonder, or I wish, or I'm not even sure, then I pray that you would hear the message today as well. John chapter 3, uh, going to start with the, the first essential that you need to understand this morning uh, as, we, uh, as we begin to read. Here it is. We start with this. To survive death, you, here's what you need to do. You need to understand why you need to be born again. You want to survive death, you need to understand why you need to be born again. John chapter 3, I'm going to begin this morning in verse 1. Y'all all right? Thank you for being here today. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. <laughs> I'm thinking Nicodemus was not expecting that response. Nicodemus said to him, well, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We don't have time to go back and read all of it today, but I need to explain a little bit to you. Uh, if it, we need to back up just a little bit into the end of chapter 2 to make a connection to where we're going in chapter 3. Uh, because ch- the end of, particularly the end of chapter 2 is, is a very theologically important uh, subject matter in a very theologically important book. In uh, chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 of of the book of John, Jesus is discussing the idea of belief, and he makes reference to his disciples, and the text says, believe, that the, the disciples believed. Epistuo is the word in Greek that the New Testament was originally written in. They believed, Jesus says, because of the written word and because of his word. So in other words, they believed because of the written word of God, and they believed because of the living word of God. They believed, epistuo, verse 22. But then in verse 23, it says that that many others, the text says, believed in Jesus, epistuo, same word, Believed in Jesus. Y'all with me? Not freaking you out with this Greek, am I? Just very minor. Verse, verse 23, many others believed, same word, epistuo, in Jesus. The text says because of his miracles, because of his signs. Okay. But then verse 24 comes along, and the text tells us that Jesus was not entrusting himself. Guess what? Same word, epistuo was not entrusting himself. Jesus was not trusting. Jesus was not believing himself to them. In other words, I realize it's not good English, but he ain't putting a lot of stock in what these guys are believing in. Because, and it goes on as it closes out the text there, it basically goes on and says, Jesus Jesus knows what's in the heart. Jesus knows a person's heart. He himself knew, as the text says in verse 25, he himself knew what was in man. In other words, there seems to be this distinction in in this idea of belief, that it is more than than an intellectual acknowledgement. It is more than being impressed with with Jesus and the miracles that he could do, and perhaps that's what they thought, man, this guy could do some stuff for us. There's more to it than that. And Jesus was not entrusting himself. He knew where their heart was in all of that. And so then he comes into chapter 3 and where it basically, in Numeric Standard, it says now there was a man. It could just as easily and probably is more effectively translated, but there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. In other words, here's, here's the connection. Jesus is contrasting Nicodemus and where he's going with this belief. And, and these guys in verses 24 and 20, 23, 24, and 25. He's contrasting their idea of belief... And where Nicodemus is going, who, who honestly is, seems to be searching for answers. And he seems to, he seems to know that, that there's something special about Jesus. You see, Nicodemus came from a, a group of people, men known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were part of the religious establishment in Israel, okay? They were fanatical. About keeping the law, every jot and tittle, doing everything exactly the way it was. I mean, and they prided themselves on keeping the law. Sounds like some Baptists I know. They prided themselves on keeping the law. And so Nicodemus had come to understand that, or believe that, eternal life, heaven, access, entrance into it is obtained through what he did here on earth how he acted, how he treated people, what he did, that that was how you you got to heaven. That's what his religious background, upbringing had taught him. And so I'm sure he's totally unprepared when Jesus looks at him and says, Nick, you got to be born again. In other words, Sure, we ought to be good people. We ought to treat people right. We ought to do the right thing. We ought to act the right way. But that's not enough. That's not what it's about. That's not what it takes to survive death. Nicodemus, Clay, everybody else, you got to be born again. There's been a lot of discussion through the years among people that are into that. And it's exactly what Jesus meant in verse 5 when he references this, this born of water and born of spirit. There's been a lot of debate and discussion about what all they could mean. Quite honestly, I think that the obvious meaning is, is the most likely meaning based in the context, particularly in verse 6, that Jesus is simply saying just as when a person is born physically, there is a new birth, so there has to be a new birth spiritually. A person must must ha- experience this new birth. They must be birthed into the kingdom of God. You see, if you want to survive death, you've got to understand why you have to be born again. Nicodemus, at this point, didn't understand why. Because everything he'd been taught, all of his upbringing, everything he'd been seeing, all the, it was telling him, no, no I, I, I just, that's... I just I can be good I can I can work my way I can somehow that that'll do it I'll I'll, it'll be enough what I want you to understand is that view hasn't changed much in 2,000 years watch watch this how
0: does a person get to heaven a person dies and goes to heaven this wall nobody's going to heaven I don't know never really thought about it
1: how does a person get to heaven I would like to think it's because they're a decent human being. How does a person get to heaven? Not the way I'm getting there, that's for sure. <laughs> that's a tough one. I don't know. Hopefully, doing the right things.
0: <laughs> how does a person get to heaven? Actually, you don't get there because you're already there. It's already equal. Every day, you got day and you got night. So you're in heaven and hell all the time. So how are you going to get where you already are? How does a person get to heaven? How does a
1: person get to heaven? I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm not religious. I'm sorry. <laughs> Heaven's inside us already. So I don't think you get to heaven. I think that something that you just recognize inside yourself and inside of the people. To heaven?
0: Not not the good old way of the purgatory. These days, it's like good deeds. How does a person get to heaven? I don't know that there really is one. Oh, I know. I don't know. I guess. That's one of the reasons you go on heaven when you work hard. You know, the easy answer is be a good Christian, because I'm Christian. You could be a good Jew. You could be a good person of Islamic faith. doesn't matter. How does a person get to heaven? Through the front door. Who
1: opens that front door?
0: Who's ever guarding heaven's gate at the time that you arrive? You go right through the front door if they let you in, and if they don't let you in, you turn your away, and you're... Try another
1: day. How does a person get to heaven?
0: Uh, Asking Jesus Christ in their heart.
1: Okay, a couple things to say. First, if this is heaven, oh man, are we in trouble. (laughs) If we're already there, we are really in trouble. Second, several people in that interview had no idea or didn't care. And that's, that's pretty sad considering that this life, in the whole scheme of things, whether you even believe that there is an eternity, in the whole scheme of things, this life is 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and everything after that is a lot longer. So, you know what I'm saying? But then the vast majority of the people indicated that, well, it's it's by being a good person. It's by doing the right things, acting the right way, whether you're a good Christian, a good Jew, a good Muslim, a good whatever. That, that's, it's still, that, you, see, you understand what I'm saying? We're right back to Nicodemus. It's still the same idea that, that, it's, that it's this idea of, of being good, doing the right things that somehow is going to be enough. And I'm saying to you, yes, by golly, let's all be good people. <laughs> but that is not what's going to get us into heaven. It, it just won't do it. Jesus says, you must be born Again, can I show you just a couple passages of Scripture? Ephesians chapter 2, you're familiar with this passage, many of you are. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. Be a good person, but don't be relying on that to survive death. Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 9, And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of, say it, faith. Faith. This idea of faith. Belief. What that actually means in our lives. Uh, A couple years ago, one of our neighbors, and Cindy and I are always trying to reach out and minister one of our neighbors that we had invited to a resurrection sunday service an easter sunday service uh they didn't come and when i got home that day they happened to be out in the yard and they saw me and maybe they felt bad because they didn't come and we'd really invited one wanted of them to come and also maybe they felt bad they felt like they needed to say something to me and and so uh, what the person uh, one of the things that the person said, in the midst of you know fumbling around and trying to figure out what to say, when the when the pastor's getting out of his vehicle and you know he invited us and we didn't show up, you know that, all that kind of stuff, that feeling, y'all have done that before, right? So, no. um, but the, the person said, I, I, and they, they kind of shouted to me from their yard, "I just don't get this whole born again thing." And I got to share with her that it wasn't something we came up with, okay, something Jesus came up with, which. That person was rather surprised to know that Jesus is the one that actually came up with that idea. But you and I have to understand that idea that that you got, you got to be, you, there must be a new birth. So I would just, before we move on to the next essential, I would just end with this question. Have you had a spiritual birth? It's just to ask yourself, No, nobody else, don't worry about anybody else or whatever else. Have you had a spiritual birth? Because it's essential if you want to survive death. Here's the second essential. To survive death, you need to understand how you can be born again. Well, I'm glad you got to that one, Clay, because you just said, I, I have to be. Now, how can you be born again? Let's pick it up in verse 9. Y'all still with me? Yes, with, with me? Those words just kind of run together. You still with me? Uh, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. You mean the Pharisees, you guys, you aren't aren't picking up on this. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? But he goes on and tells them one anyway. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Remember what Nicodemus had asked, or what Nicodemus said, he said, "We, we know that you come from God. Well, Jesus just... Well, we'll get to that. He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, as Moses... Now, listen, watch this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes will in him have... Say it. Eternal life. For God... Would you say this verse with me, please? For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, a.k.a. survive death. Verse 17, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I, I genuinely believe Nicodemus, and I think we see this played out in his life later. I genuinely believe Nicodemus wants answers. He's looking for answers. He's not, he's not out to get Jesus. He's, he's come to him uh, secretly. He wants to discover this truth. And I really believe that he's looking for answers. And he, and he says, how can this be? This goes against everything I've been told my whole life. My whole life I've been told if you do this, if you do that, if you keep this, if you, if you don't do this on, on Saturday, if you, you, know, you do all these kind of things. If you do the right stuff, eat the right stuff, act the right way, you're going to be good. No, no, no reason to worry about it, Nick. And now you're telling me something different here. You're telling me that, that all of that stuff is not what counts as far as gaining God's approval and, and entrance into this, this eternity that is to come. How, how can this be? And Jesus speaks rather bluntly to him. And he says, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't get this? You're one of the teachers. You're teaching the people and you don't get this. You don't understand this, that there has to be this new birth, that something has to change in your life that you can't. Listen, here's what you need to understand. For, for back then and for today, folks, here's the deal. God didn't change the rules in the middle of the game a relationship with him, entrance into heaven, surviving death, Old Testament, New Testament, it had always been about trusting God and not yourself. That didn't change. That had always been what God intended, that we would trust in him and not in, in ourselves and what we could do in our good works. And so Jesus speaks rather bluntly to Nicodemus because, honestly, Jesus is not concerned about hurting Nicodemus's feelings. He's concerned about saving Nicodemus' soul. And so, Jesus says, you you should have known this stuff. And then he launches into a story about Moses lifting something, some weird story about Moses lifting up a serpent, a snake, in the wilderness. Before he does that, he references himself as, y'all saw that if we read it, as the Son of Man. The Son of Man was Jesus' favorite name for himself. And it was an Old Testament word or phrase that stood for or represented the Messiah. The Christ, the Savior. The the Son of Man was an Old Testament reference to the Messiah, the Christ, the, the Savior. Christ, Messiah, those those words are the same, Hebrew, Greek, just different, but they mean the same thing. That's who it's referring to. Now that, listen to me, that Nicodemus would have known. Y'all with me? Nicodemus would have known that. He would have known that the Son of Man was a reference to uh to the Messiah that was coming. Right? And so Jesus makes reference to himself as the Son of Man. And then Jesus says something that must have blown Nicodemus's mind because it sure blew his theology. When he references this story about Moses lifting up this snake in the wilderness. The story is found in uh, Numbers uh, chapter uh, 21 is where we find the story. But in verse, in verse 14 there as we read it, it is where he said, As Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, what's that about? Numbers chapter 21 is the story where it un- unfolds. Uh, let me, it's, a, it's a little bit to read, but we need to understand why Jesus, out of everything he could have picked, why does he pick this whole snake on a pole, not on plane, snake on a pole, Moses lifted. Numbers chapter 21. Then the people of Israel set out from uh, Mount Or, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. No, people would never do that. People grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Mmm, never a great idea. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna manna uh, most of you may know manna was the the bread that god provided for the israelites to eat while they're out in the wilderness they sent it down to them uh, every every morning all they had to go out was pick it up and 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 eat it we we hate this horrible manna by the way do you know what manna tastes like exodus uh, chapter 16 i think it is exodus 16 the house of israel named it manna when this bread starts showing up every morning they named it manna it was like coriander seed white and its taste was like wafers of honey oh yeah that that sounds horrible do you know what that tells us i I'll take a sidebar here for just a, a moment stay with me I, I know, do you know what that tells us that tells us that mankind as a whole is rarely if ever satisfied with what we have they, they love that stuff at first they literally ate that stuff up I mean, they didn't, have to, they didn't have to make a fire. They didn't have to grow wheat. They didn't have to grind it into flour. They didn't have to bake it in ovens. They, it just, poof, just showed up fresh baked out of heaven every night. But given enough time, that's just the nature of me. Given enough time, we, we hate this horrible stuff. Something about the idea of never quite being satisfied. Listen, God is a patient and loving and merciful God. He really is. But he is also holy. And when his holiness is violated by our sinfulness, there are consequences for that. Which brings me back to Numbers chapter 21. So the Lord, so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. Oh, that's code for they, they, they fell asleep. No, they, they died. They died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. You think? Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. Moses, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. This is just proof positive that Moses is a much more spiritual guy than me. Because about that time, I'm I'm ready to say, oh, oh, now you want me to pray. Now you're okay with me being being the leader around here. But Moses is much more spiritual than me. So Moses prayed for the people. Watch this. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake, attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. What a strange way to save people. What is that all about? What a strange way to save people. Here's the reason why God did this. Because in order to be healed, in order to be Saved, it required one thing and one thing only faith. Faith. Well, well uh, uh, don't we need to treat the wound? Nope. Don't, don't, don't we need to uh, suck the poison out? Well, you can if you want to, but nope. Don't we need to give them some sort of anti venom medication or something? Nope. All you got to do is look up in faith and be healed. And in that lesson, brought to that moment with, with Nicodemus, he learns this, he should learn this amazing truth. And that is, is that it hasn't changed. It's always been the same. It's always been about faith, about looking to God by faith. And listen to me, this, it's, maybe it's a little hard. Eh, Some sense it's hard for us. But you need to understand how prideful the Jews were. Not that we would ever be prideful, but the Jews were so prideful about who they were and how good they were. I'm not dissing on Jews, by the way. I'm just I'm telling you historically, this is, this is how it was. They, they were waiting for the Messiah. But listen to me. The idea of their Messiah being lifted up on a pole was abhorrent to them. They could not imagine that he would die, much less that he would die. Such an ignominious, shameful, painful way to die. And even worse, that he would do it for them. But that's exactly what they did. The, the, the one that they would have, that they never would have looked upon, never wanted to look on, beaten and bruised and battered, rejected, they would despise the idea of even looking like that. Just like those Jews in the wilderness. Look at look at a poisonous snake, look up to a poisonous snake. They despise that thing. But God says, look up and be healed and that gives to you and me this whole new appreciation for the prophet Isaiah's words Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3 where he says he was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face he was despised and we did not esteem him in in the it's happened a number of times, but in 1999, uh, a series of tornadoes hit the Oklahoma City, Oklahoma area. And particularly hard hit was a suburb of Oklahoma City uh, known as Moore, Oklahoma. Part, parts of it were just absolutely flattened and, and devastated. Except for the First Baptist Church of Moore, Oklahoma. The tornado almost miraculously jumped over uh, the church and it was spared and so First Baptist Moore, Oklahoma became a staging station for, uh, for rescue and for help and uh, food and shelter and clothing and, and all of those kind of things. Well, because the, the land had been so decimated, there were no visible landmarks left. There were no street signs. There were no everything. And, th- this, this, wasn't, and this, this is the truth. This is what the people were told who lived in the community. If you need help, go to the cross. If you need help... Go to the cross. And ladies and gentlemen, that has been the cry of the church for 2,000 years. If you need help, and we all do, go to the cross. That's the place where you can experience this new birth. John 3.16 is probably the most beautiful passage of Scripture, certainly or arguably the most recognized passage of Scripture in all the Bible because it so beautifully and succinctly speaks of the love of God of the sacrifice of God and of the promise of God, all in one verse. But as, as we saw from the closing of chapter two and into to chapter 23, that idea of belief carries more than, than just this, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, he died on a cross and all that kind of stuff. That there's more to it than that, okay? Let me just give you, we're gonna close, but let me just give you the, the last idea and then, then we'll, we'll close this thing out because you need to understand it. To survive death, you need to understand what happens when you are born again. You need to understand why you need to be born again. You need to understand how you're born again by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. By looking up to that cross, that one despised, that one rejected of men, you have to look to him and him only for, by faith to his finished work. Well, I wasn't there. I know. I wasn't either. I'm not that old. Yes, I know there's historical evidence. I know all that kind of stuff. But by faith, this thing called faith, God says, this way I've always done it. You have to trust in me and not in yourself. And so, let me just say this, read it, and then, and then we'll close out. You need to understand what happens when you are born again. Because this is the difference between the belief in, in apparently, in, in chapter 2 at the end there, and belief that helps you survive death. In uh, verse nine, 19, 18, I think it would give me. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him has been judged already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. See, that's, that's a profound truth, ladies and gentlemen, that everybody has to understand. You're not lost. If you die without Christ, you're not lost when you die. You're, you're lost now. And, and, and you hang, quite honestly, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here, but you hang above the very pits of hell by one heartbeat, one breath. This is the judgment that and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Watch this, verse twenty. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. That, that's the bottom line. What happens? When you have this this spiritual new birth, you want to survive death you got to understand what happens what happens is you 're simply changed you 're simply not the same you 're not perfect you 're not you know we, we may still mess up we may still sin, but there's been this there 's been this noticeable difference with us that now we desire the light aka the the things God would have for us the, the the works of God, the kingdom of God, and whatever all that will mean for us and whatever whatever all he wants to do that that we now want to move in that direction. I don't, I don't want to do the things I do. I don't want to live the way I do. I don't want to trust in myself. I don't want to trust my good works. I don't want to do all that stuff I used to do. Now I want to go in a new direction. I'm out. That's what happens when you truly experience this, this new birth. Because here's the deal. God knows. There's no fooling God. God knows the heart. Isn't that what it said there in, back in chapter 2? He himself knew what was in man. So, let me just say to you today, with that in mind, you under, hopefully understanding why every person needs to be born again. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Only you ultimately can answer that question. You need to understand how you can be born again. And through faith in this finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, yes, 2,000 years ago. And when it does happen, when it's real, when it's genuine, you will be changed as a result of what happens, what happened there on the cross. Uh, the British theologian John Stott Said this, and we'll close. He says, "Only one act of pure love, unsullied by any taint of ulterior motive, has ever been performed in the history of the world, namely the self-giving of God in Christ on the cross for undeserving sinners." That's me. This life—I've said it many times—it's a—it's a blip on the radar. James says it's a vapor; it's a mist here today and gone tomorrow. Whatever is after that is a lot longer. If you want to survive it those are the essentials you need to know
0: surviving death as we learned today it really has nothing to do with what we can do and everything to do with what jesus christ did for us nicodemus thought he could be good enough in his physical life to survive death but jesus made it clear that we must be born again there has to be a spiritual birth if we want to survive death We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. to get it and join us here each week online for another crosswalk message God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church.
1: I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed.
0: Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our
1: culture to the cross.